are, well, better than our excuses. God's reasons are better than our excuses. If we have a reason to serve, maybe the Lord gives you a reason and says, hey, you need to serve. Somebody could learn from you. You could be a help to someone. And we might make an excuse, oh, not me. I I really don't have anything. Oh, in a sense, that's true, but you have the Lord. And if he gives you the words to speak, then you do have something. And so in matters of ministry and matters of obedience, God says, let's reason. I want to prepare you. And so it does take some time for us to be prepared. God gives you the time you need to prepare you for what He has. In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches you that God's reasons are always better than your excuses. God will reason with you through His Word to get you prepared for where He wants you to go. He might be calling you into a specific area of ministry that you feel ill-equipped for. However, when you come to Him with excuses, He will show you through His Word that He has the power to overcome your excuses. His power through His Spirit in you is stronger than any excuses that could come against you. Trust that His reasons for you are better than your excuses. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Come Alive. You want me to feel sorry for you? How do you want me to feel for you? Why are you calling now? Because you didn't take advice the first time, and it makes me really reluctant to give you advice this next time. And you guys might say, well, gosh, Mark, you know, not everybody's perfect. Well, I understand that. But sometimes it needs to be taken quickly and by the counsel of two or more. And so sometimes you hear people that will say, yeah, well, that's what so-and-so told me, and that's what so-and-so told me. And like a bunch of so-and-sos told them so-and-so, and yet they do otherwise. And so they remain. It's like, well, you, it seems you enjoy the mess you've gotten yourself into and until you're ready to crawl out of that pit and, and really take the advice and do the hard work, then I don't know if I... I, I one more time, I'll, let's do it another time. And you do it another time, and... And say, like, oh, that's just impossible. It's not impossible. So David, you know, he's not so filled with pride that he can't hear the advice. He can't take it. If David had this pride-filled attitude, it would have been a, a pitfall, not just for him. because It's not just David that's involved. It's all the people that are following him. That would be as if somebody was giving me advice. If I said, well, donor of this building is going to raise the rent three times the amount that we already pay. And then he's going to take half of the parking space. And yet the city hasn't even finished looking at what we've done. And somebody says here and a couple of guys in here in the church and and some other people from outside the church say, hey, you know, there's a better place over there. And it'd be better if you rented that. It's for the same price or a little more. But you have the parking. You'd have a building. And I'm like, no, no, the Lord called us here and we're going to stay here. And I didn't take their advice. And then we lose everything. And then I go and be like, well, gosh, how could that happen? Godly men and, and godly people counsel otherwise, and yet I'm too pride-filled because, well, you know, this is what the Lord told me, and then, but he, it might be for a season. It may be forever. Who knows? But it, when that happens, we've got to act quickly. So when we refuse the counsel of the one who loves us most, that would be Jesus, and it's backed up by Scripture, we always risk the lives of those that are around us. 
that I would risk your lives. And not in a dangerous way, but in, in a sense that, well, now we have no place to worship. And then you would also be like, well, this guy doesn't make really great decisions. And now I don't, I'm not sure if I want to follow him. And, and so now there's this problem. And it, my sin has, well, it, it's affected and has an effect on you as well. And so David doesn't want to risk the lives of those people that are around him. And so God does put people in your path to help and direct and to guide and to, to just kind of nurture you and bring the message. They're called servants. We are called servants. There's good counsel and there's bad counsel. Satan comes as an angel of light. He can disguise himself. And so there's a reason why we need to go to counsel and to the word. And that's why I always tell you guys, don't just trust me. Pick this up and read it. Check it out and see what happens. I'm only a human. I'll make my mistakes. But notice David packs up and leaves. And we need to learn when to immediately take the advice and go. Sometimes it's just... This last week, I wasn't going to go to California for the senior pastor's conference. I was having a rough couple of weeks, and I kind of just figured that, you know what, the following week, if I was gone, would be just as rough or even rougher. How can I leave with all this stuff going on around me? And so my wife takes me and sits me down, and she gives me some great advice. She counsels me. She's like, look, every year this happens. That pastor's conference is your time to be fed spiritually, to hear messages, to hang out with your friends to kind of rest and relax. I don't know if rest is even in that whole conference because I come back worn out, but it's fun. And she's like, you come back, you're charged, and it it lasts you and pushes you for a year. And I was like, yeah, but I've got all these problems. And then I even tried to make it spiritual. I was like, I just don't have a peace. I don't feel like I have a peace from God about going. And I didn't because I'd filtered my decision through chaos And so she said, well, you should call one of your friends, a couple of your pastor friends. So I call these guys that I'm going to rent a car with and share rooms with and just my close buddies. And I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'll write you a check for the car. I'm not going to make it. And I just thought they'd be like, okay, and that would be it. But they didn't. None of them were like, okay, and that was it. They were like, why? And I was like, why? Well, well, because, um, well, because I got to buy gas for my guys three days out of the week. And one of them's like, couldn't you just buy the gas now and just leave a card or something? I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. What other reason? Well, what if a piece of equipment breaks down? One of them said, well, are you the mechanic, giggling, knowing that I have no skills? I said, no. He's like, well, what would you do? I was like, well, I'd take it to a shop. Who would take it, my guys? Couldn't you do You have a cell phone, Mark? Yeah. Couldn't you do that? Yeah. Could you do it from California? Yeah. Okay, what else? I mean, what do you need to be there for? What requires you to actually be there? Are you in the truck actually working? No. And when I heard those questions, I was like, you know, I really don't have a good reason to not go. And so I went to Jess, and I mean, we're talking 11th hour. This is Saturday evening. I got to fly out 24 hours later. And so I looked at Jess. She goes, well, if we're going to make a decision, we got to hurry up. You got 24 hours to do this so we can get the refund. I said, I'm going. I didn't want to go. I just said I was going to go, and I said, I'm going to keep my word. I told these guys I would go. So as I load the plane, I'm nervous, and we get in late. And sure enough, Monday morning, a little problem happened. I had to wake up at 3.30 California time. I got to sleep for two hours and then had to deal with a problem here. It's simple. It just required a phone call and a credit card number, but yet it got taken care of. Tuesday, the same thing. Wednesday, a little bit of a thing. 
But overall, when I look back, I'm like, man, yes, I'm glad I went. There were some messages there that I needed to hear, and it was amazing. So see, sometimes the counsel, there's good counsel. It sounded like bad counsel at the time, because I was like, oh, you guys just want to hang out with me, because we got a big prank we're going to play on someone, and you need my help. And it was like, no, 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 it's not just for that. We want you to be fed. We want you to hang out. We want you. It was about me hearing it from them. And when we serve, it's got to be about the other person. And so it was, it was good advice. I'm glad they advised me to go. They counseled me to go. And because they watched me the whole time. There were times where my phone rang where they early in the morning, they're like, dude, just leave it. Trust in the Lord. I was like, okay. And I'd flip over and I'd look and see who would call. I'm like, I trust you, Lord. I want to call, but I won't. So I did. I did. It, it allowed people who work for me to kind of step it up a notch to allow them to be leaders. Look at verse 23. It says, Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, he arose, he went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order, and he hanged himself, and he died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. See, he knows what just happened. If the end of Absalom happens, he knows that, well, it would be the end of Ahithophel, that David would come after him and say, hey, because you are a turncoat, because you defected, you're now on that side, I can't trust you, and it would mean his death. So David has time now because of Hushai's advice, and so Absalom's doing what he needs to do, and Ahithophel knows his advice was good and knows that, well, since they didn't take it, it's all over. They're going to be bum-rushed, and they're going to be dead, and I'm going to die anyway, so he takes his own life. We don't need to go any further. We talked about it last week. Ahithophel has been David's advisor for over 30 years. He knows how David operates. He also knows when David comes back to the kingdom that there's going to be no place for him and that there's going to be trouble. So really, he's, he's not going to give David the privilege, kind of is the thought. He's just going to go home, take his life, because Absalom has failed to follow the advice that would have secured the kingdom for Absalom. Look at verse 24. And then David went to Mahanim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, and he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army. So David goes to this place, Mahanim, and Absalom crosses the Jordan with all the men of Israel. And in there's quite a bit of time. And sometimes, you know, when you look at a verse in a scripture, it kind of is confusing. And you read one thing, then you read another thinking nothing happened. But it, there's a lot of time sometimes between these verses here. So in order for Absalom to get all these people mobilized, it took a lot of time from Dan to Beersheba. They didn't have telephones. And so they had to send a messenger and they had to gather armies and mobilize a huge army to travel 16 to 18 miles down the river and then cross over the river. It took a lot of time for a lot of people to do that, especially when you, you fought an army. You took your tents, you took everything, you took food, you took sheep. And so it was a big deal. And so David, to make this other trip, about 30 miles, it took time too. It took him 30 miles north of Mahanim, where he crossed the river on the eastern side. And that took some time as well. Look at verse 25 again. And it says, And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone to Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Amasa is the nephew of David, as well as Joab. And that would make them cousins of Absalom. And Amasa took Joab's place of commander because Joab is on David's side. So Joab goes with David. Absalom makes Amasa the captain. 
And to build the army, Absalom had to, to build. He, it took some time, and with this time, it gave David some time to ready himself for the battle, the war that was about to take place. And, you know, when we look at this, there's nothing wrong with time. You guys have heard me say this many, many times. There's nothing wrong with time. Sometimes we can take too much time, and other times we, we do need to react quickly. But what time allows is for us to get ready, to be prepared. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, I want to show you something there. Isaiah 1 is where we're going, and then we'll bounce back to 2 Samuel. Isaiah 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 18. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Notice verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And see, God is saying when he says, let us reason, God's asking us to contemplate, to comprehend. The word reason here actually even means to argue, to argue that. Contemplate, comprehend, because his reasons are, well, better than our excuses. God's reasons are better than our excuses. If we have a reason to serve, maybe the Lord gives you a reason and says, hey, you need to serve. Somebody could learn from you. You could be a help to someone, and we might make an excuse, oh, not me, I I really don't have anything. Oh, in a sense, that's true, but you have the Lord, and if he gives you the words to speak, then you do have something. And so in matters of ministry and matters of obedience, God says, let's reason. I want to prepare you, and so it does take some time for us to be prepared. Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. Peter and, and all the disciples, three years. It takes time to prepare, but if you continue to disobey, well, if you look at that, you're going to be damned. You'll be damned is what this tells us. And so we want to be prepared. We don't want to disobey when the Lord calls us into obedience because it, it, you may think, well, you know, it's not so bad. I, I've been disobeying in this area, and it's not that rugged. I mean, things aren't going the way they should. And not that when we obey and we work, it's not a work-based faith, but things seem to flow better. And you'll be blessed. Now, I don't know how the Lord will bless you, and maybe not always with money, but maybe with some time when you sacrifice a lot of time, maybe the Lord will give some back. Now, back to Second Samuel chapter 17. So verse 27, we pick up, and it says, Now it happened when David had come to Mahanim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, and Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Brazili, the Gileadite, from Rogliam, brought beds and basins, earth and vessels, and wheat and barley and flour and parched grains and beans and lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And so if you think about and you ask yourself, well, what is happening here? Well, in Isaiah, we see that the Lord wants us to be obedient and wants us to be prepared for service. And he will prepare us. It's him that prepares us. But here, when we come back, we look and say, okay, well, how do these two things tie in? Well, word has gotten out that David is down and he's kind of bummed out. He's a little depressed. He's now finding refuge from his rebellion. So these guys mentioned here, they show up, they stop and say, hey, David needs some support. Uh, That's what a servant does. Hey, this guy needs support. This lady over here needs some support. These people need support and we want to support them. And so word has gotten out about, about him being a little bummed out. So they stop and they say, you know, hey, let, let's do something nice for him. And so when you think about it, he's out in the wilderness. He doesn't have a whole lot. 
But what do they bring him? Not just a little box of raisins and, and a juice packet, but they bring him beds. They bring him like a, a hotel room and food and good food and sheep and cheese and good stuff for him to, well, to eat and for his people. They bring him hospitality out to the wilderness and they know that he's hurting and that he needs some friends. And so there are people outside the walls of this church and there are people inside the walls of this church that are hurting now more than ever. They need people like these guys who are willing to go to them and take nourishment. Maybe not food, but spiritual food. They may be out there in the wilderness and what the, the Davids of the world are looking for are for someone to bring them a drink to help refresh them. That's what a drink does when you're hot and you're thirsty. It refreshes you. If it's cold out, hot chocolate kind of warms you and still refreshes you. The sugar that's in that stuff makes you feel happy. They say chocolate makes you feel happy. Probably why my kids eat so much of it. See, you're an instrument in the hand of God that can provide something that they need. These guys understood that there was a a price to pay, a cost to incur, and everyone knew what was going on between Absalom and David, but yet they were still willing to go regardless of what other people thought about them and bring refreshment and comfort to David. Jesus' words to the crowds after he had fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, the crowds grew. Who doesn't like food? And so Jesus feeds them because why? They needed food. They were hungry, it tells us. So Jesus, you know, says, hey, and the guys are like, well, where are we going to send all these people? Uh, That McDonald's, I mean, though they've served over 1 billion, there's a lot. They can't do it all right now. And so Jesus says, hey, figure it out. And there's a little boy with some fish and some bread. And Jesus translated their thoughts from food for their stomachs to food for their souls. And his conversation with the crowds that day led to a triumphant claim as Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So how does this translate to us? Well, he capitalized on the cravings of the crowd to help them understand who he was and what it meant to follow him. And you know what? As a servant, sometimes as we bring that, we might bring that spiritual refreshment to them and say, hey, here's what Jesus has done. Somebody might be in need of food and money and those things. And, and just like John and, and Peter at the, at the gate, hey, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have, I'll give to you. See, we've all been created with cravings for food, air, water, companionship. Adam and Eve were told in the garden, you may eat and enjoy. You can eat and enjoy. The garden paradise was not a place where humans, and I'll say this, it's not a place, I've heard people say this before, but it was not a place where humans had no needs or desires. I've heard people say, well, there was no need or no desire, whatever. It wasn't a place where there weren't needs and desires. Instead, it was a place where all their needs and all their desires were met. And it was met by God who created them. It wasn't a place that didn't have them. And the same is true in our lives. You and I have desires that are designed to be satisfied by our creator. And God has hardwired us for friends, food, water, meaning, and purpose. And each of those, we were created to drive us to God as the giver of all the good gifts and the sole source of satisfaction. Yet sin took place in the garden. It happened when the woman and the man had looked at something apart from God. They looked away from God for satisfaction, for desires. And those satisfaction, those desires apart from God are costly and dangerous. Followers of Christ are tempted to miss this. We view Jesus as the only one who can save us from our sins, but we forget he's the only one who can satisfy our souls. Yes, he can save us for our sins. Many people know that. 
but yet they don't trust in him for the desires of their soul. So they start to look outside of that garden that he's created for us in himself. And so God brings these instruments, these guys, to bring a bit of rest and satisfaction to the king and his people. Beds, food, sheep, drink. From who? Shobi. And if you think about who Shobi is, he's the son of Nahash. So what it tells us here. But if you remember back in chapter 10 that Nahash dies, David just wanted to comfort the people there, the son of Nahash, Nahun. And so he sends a company of people and the people start freaking out saying he's just here to spy. And remember, we, we kind of had a good time with those guys getting their robes cut off and it said that their rear ends were showing and they had to ride back. They were embarrassed, had half their beard shaved off. Well, this is the brother of Nahun who, well, was kind of defeated by David. Shobi didn't whine and say, I'm not going to do anything for that guy. He hurt me. He hurt me. He hurt my family. I didn't like the way he treated my people. He he said, no, he he was bigger than that. He allowed God to use him as an instrument to provide rest and comfort. See, sometimes we get so hurt by, well, I didn't get to do this, or so-and-so didn't talk to me, and so I'm not going to serve in that way. And like, why would I do that? They treated me bad last time. This guy lost his family. And so Shobi, he didn't try to conquer his fleshly desire by changing his actions. He conquered desire of the flesh by changing his affections. And you and I can't do that. Uh, We can't change our actions. We have to change our affections. We can try as much as we want, but you know what? It doesn't work that well. It becomes a bigger struggle. If we just change our affections and say, hey, I want to live like Jesus and I want to treat others like Jesus would treat others. And if others would treat you the way Jesus would treat you, then just guess what would happen? See, I want to challenge each of you to serve, but not for any other reason than your affection for Jesus. And not because we need servants here, because we do, but it's not that big of a deal because if you choose not to, we still, the Lord will provide, we'll still get through it, and we always have. But to serve one another in a sense, not to just serve in ministry, because again, it's not just all about that. It's all about Jesus Christ and serving him. And if you're really serving him, and then the natural bridge will be to serve others. And when you're serving others, your natural bridge will be to do it, whether it's in, in an organized or a, or a more formal way, or maybe just in a way of just being a prayer warrior for people and just praying for their needs. And so, again, for any other reason, just be affectionate about Jesus. Just have that affection for Jesus about your king. So the question to end today's study would be, what are you doing for your king? What are you doing for your king? What are you doing for others who may be out there in the wilderness suffering? Well, what are we doing and what can we do? The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. 
We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.